Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. No, Gavin, I'm not going to light you up with a little stimmy. If you want that, why don't you ask the queen? She can find time from worrying about having brown grandbabies. Ass. The following podcast contains... Tobacco, swear words, and... Yes, alcohol. Dear Lord, that's the loudest profanity I've ever heard. Slang terminology, profanity, and so forth. Well, now there's no need for profanity. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you told the FBI that your creepy uncle was definitely D.B. Cooper because he was late for Thanksgiving, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 304, Fly the Friendly Skyjackers, part three. Will the real D.B. Cooper please stand up edition of the show where we look at the contenders to be the real D.B. Cooper. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Are You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Dream Gene, the DNA service that will tell you what you want to hear. People getting their DNA done is the hot thing to do these days. But who wants to have the report come back with some boring shit about being from England? You want to know who you're related to? Dream Gene is here to tell you that, yes, you are related to the Royal Court of France. Is it true? Who the fuck knows? But we'll give you a paper that says it is. Forget messing around with spitting in a cup. Just send us some money and a list of people you'd like to be distant related to. And Dream Gene will create some very plausible looking documents to say that you are. From Founding Fathers to Genghis Khan, Dream Gene will prove your lineage to anyone without a degree in genetics. Why settle for Klaus Glockenspiel, who escaped to America one step ahead of sheep fucking charges, when you could be related to Kaiser Wilhelm himself? After all, who's gonna know except for you and Dream Gene, and we're not talking. He came over, and I happened to have a newspaper article about it, you know, with a picture of D.B. Cooper, the sketch. I said, let me comb your hair to the side. So we combed it to the side, and we put sunglasses on, and we had one of the old Instamatic cameras, you know, you take a picture and it develops. We were watching it develop, and I looked at the sketch, and I said, Jesus Christ, I said, she really matches. I think maybe she is D.B. Cooper. We had another couple here, too. A couple here, too. A a young couple here, too. And we all kind of just were sitting around the table with our mouths open watching her, like, what is she, what is she doing here? And all of a sudden, she realized nobody was talking. We were all sitting there staring at her. And uh, then she, you know, she said, well, she says, okay. I am Dan Cooper. Every family has mysteries, secrets, if you will, things no one will talk about while sober. Who bore a bastard child. Please, there's so many bastards in my family these days, no one thinks it's even a problem so long as they're white. Easy. <laughs> really uncool. Whoa. Hey, look, it's not me. I don't talk to these people for a reason, all right? Indeed, the mystery I'm thinking about has everything to do with how white a distant relative is. 
or rather was. My maternal great-great-grandmother was what people called Black Dutch, which everyone wants to mean she was Cherokee, which was plausible as our family lived in what was the Cherokee Nation before white people white people them right off their land and sent them to live in Oklahoma. And a fair number of Cherokee did manage to evade old Andy Jackson, so that was possible. It's far more likely she was of the Melungeon ancestry because photos of her from the time show a woman who resembles a Melungeon, you know. What, I hear you ask, is a Melungeon? Well, that could be a show in and of itself, but the short, short version is they're descendants of free blacks who lived in the Appalachians and got the fuck over the mountains to get the fuck away from the problems associated with being around white people. And also, I possess certain physical asset attributes associated with Melungeon ancestry, so it's not at all unlikely that my great, great, grandmother was mixed race or at least descended from mixed race parents this could all be settled with a simple dna test but the funny thing is none of my family is interested in taking one even me now i just flat don't give a fuck and even if my ancestors were melungeon that would change fuck all about me or my obvious honky tube but even the most ardent distant relatives with books full of family genealogy doesn't seem remotely interested in this particular aspect of our family history sometimes that is better and that this particular mystery will probably never be truly answered and you know what i kind of agree with that because when you start digging around in your family history you're bound to find out things you just don't want to know like maybe your dad is db cooper or something like it says right there in the title, this is part three of a three-part series that started with the history of skyjacking in the 1970s, and in part two, we talked about D.B. Cooper's famous hijacking in 1971. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time recapping those shows because we need the downloads, and you should, or, you know, if you don't know about them, you can just Google that shit. But really, you should listen to those shows. I put a lot of work into those jokes. Now, this week, we're looking at those who have either claimed to be D.B. Cooper, usually on their deathbeds, or those who claim that, that D.B. was somehow related or known to them. And then finally, we talk about the one guy who might actually have been the real Dan Cooper. So signal the stewardess for a fresh drink. Spark yourself another Raleigh. Get valuable Raleigh coupons on Raleigh, filter tip, plain end, and on like menthol Bel Air. And let's meet the DBs. Last year's HBO documentary, The Mystery of D.B. Cooper, featured four people who were suspected of being D.B. Cooper, and they made some compelling, if not entirely convincing, arguments for each one. And several of our D.B.s appeared on that documentary, but not all of them. And I figured we'd start with our little examination of this topic by getting a couple of people out of the way right off the bat. Are you him? I regret to inform the listeners that I am not D.B. Cooper. We looked at the math and it just doesn't line up, primarily because I was still crapping in my diapers in 1971. Second, producer Gavin is not D.B. Cooper because one, he's British, two, way too young, and three, potentially imaginary. I can also rule out Fast Eddie as being D.B. Cooper since he was doing a three-year stint in Danamora in 1971 for what he claims were some bullshit charges. So that rules out anyone associated with the show, and I'm just going to have to leave it to the network to check their own staff. I'm going to start with Lynn Doyle Cooper. Too obvious. Who 
according to the Seattle Times in 2011, quote, Lynn Doyle Cooper, who has been linked by his niece to the 1971 skyjacking, worked as an engineering surveyor, according to the Oregon death certificate. His brother, Dewey Max Cooper, who has also been implicated by the niece in the skyjacking, once worked at Boeing, according to his former sister-in-law, Grace Haley, unquote. Marla Cooper came to the FBI in 2011 with her claim that her uncle L.D. and his brother Dewey... Hi, I'm Larry. This is my brother Daryl. That's my other brother Daryl. ...had mentioned they were going someplace right before Thanksgiving in 1971 when she was eight years old and appeared to be secretly planning something. According to Marla, they returned the day after Thanksgiving and L.D. was injured and wearing a bloody shirt and she overheard them saying something about a hijacking, a plane, and Marla's father, presumably the other brother, Daryl, told her never to mention it again until many years later when he brought it up and her father told her it was L.D. who, who disappeared from the area right after the hijacking was none other than, you know, D.B. Cooper. She also remembers that her uncle L.D. was a big fan of the Canadian comic book Dan Cooper. The FBI has always maintained was the source of Cooper's alias, which is about as probable as a Canadian rocket ship pilot. Nobody takes us Canadians seriously. No, they don't. <laughs> the FBI compared a DNA sample from the relatives to their sample they have from the necktie found on the plane and ruled out a match between the donor of the DNA on the tile and L.D. Cooper. But that doesn't necessarily rule out L.D. is because they're not sure that the DNA on the tie came from Dan Cooper. Still, the evidence for L.D. Cooper is among the thinnest for any of our chosen suspects based entirely on old memories and family suspicions. Also, L.D. didn't disappear unless you count living out his life in Eugene, Oregon as disappearing, which maybe I've been to Eugene. It's fine, small, far from anything cool, but no one's going there to hide from the feds. So our stance on L.D. Cooper is that having a similar name and a childhood memory does not a D.B. Cooper make. Then there's the strange story of Lyle Christensen. In 2007, Lyle wrote a detective agency in New York City asking their help contacting the screenwriter Nora Ephron. You might remember Nora from a few movies she wrote back in the 90s that people seem to like, like, uh, I don't know, Sleepless in Seattle and... When Harry met Sally. Yes! Yes! Oh! Yes! 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 Oh! 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 Oh, God. Oh. Now, the agency said they couldn't just give him her address. But for 500 bucks, they delivered the letter to Ephron, and Christensen sent them a money order and the letter he wanted delivered. After checking to make sure there was nothing dangerous in there, the agency delivered the letter to Ephron's building. Lyle, you see, had had a movie idea he wanted Ephron to direct because, quote, she has heart, unquote. Of course, Ephron did not answer the letter, and Lyle wrote again to the agency explaining that he, according to a New York Magazine article in 2007, quote, As you know, I've been trying to contact Nora Ephron, but for some reason, she doesn't answer my letters. Now, I would like you to help me. I'm sitting on the answer to a mini-decades mystery which has never been solved. No one was killed or injured in the caper, but easily could have been. I hope you think will think about this and let me know, unquote. And after several email exchanges, Lyle revealed to the detective agency that his brother Kenneth was in fact none other than D.B. Cooper. 
Kenneth Christensen was an army veteran from World War II, a paratrooper, though he enlisted too late to see any combat. He did several jobs related to parachute jumping in the years after the war and eventually wound up as a purser, a male stewardess of the parlance of the time, for Northwest Orient Airlines. Can fit a lot of boxes for being D.B. Cooper. That he was an ex-paratrooper, obviously, working for the airlines. And the living witnesses, including the stewardess, Floyd Schaffner, said the photos of Ken bore a strong resemblance to old D.B. Retired FBI agent who headed up the Norjack investigation, as the FBI called the Cooper case, Ralph Himmelsbach, who said that, uh, said that Kenneth would have been a must-investigate if he'd had the information when he was still running the case. Lyle claimed that Kenneth had tried to tell him something right on his deathbed that was awful and he regretted doing, but Lyle stopped him before he could finish it. And after Kenneth's death in 1994, the family discovered that Kenneth had unknown bank accounts with over $200,000 in them, gold coins, and a collection of newspaper articles about Northwest Orient Airlines that started in the 50s and stopped in 1971. Furthermore, they believed that Ken had paid cash for his home and no one knew where that cash had came from. All of this was enough for the detective, originally contacted by Lyle, to arrive at the conclusion, along with Lyle, that Kenneth Christensen was D.B. Cooper, or at least enough for him to write a book about it in 2011. The FBI, however, did not see it the same way, pointing out that the witness IDs did not all give a positive match. There was no direct evidence at all linking the two. And all that money Ken had when he died had come from a land sale a few years prior. He had, in fact, financed it home and paid it off, off the mortgage over 17 years. So again, while interesting, Kenneth Christensen not D.B. Cooper. Then there was Jack Kofeld, who in 1972 claimed to be D.B. Cooper. Was he? No, definitely not. He was a con artist and also claimed to be the driver for Abe Lincoln's last surviving relative. He and his cellmate tried to shop the story of him being D.B. Cooper to Hollywood, but no one was buying and the FBI ruled him out almost instantly because he didn't know jack and shit about the details of the hijacking and had a record about as long as a fucking con man would have. It didn't stop a cellmate from trying to peddle the story long after Kofelt died up until 1975. Now, I sense you're looking for someone more dramatic. What if we learn that the man that we knew as D.B. Cooper was... I am no man. In 1977, Pat and Ron Foreman met a pilot at the Puyallup Washington Airfield where they kept their small plane. Over time, they became close friends with Barbara Dayton, based mostly on their love of flying. As they grew closer, Barbara Dayton began to reveal details about her past, a little at a time, and because it was the late, teens, late 70s in small-town Washington State, and Barbara wasn't born a Barbara, she was born a Bobby. Holy shit, you're a dude. She's a dude. She was not a dude. Barbara underwent gender reassignment surgery in 1969. Quoting from a 2016 article on mental floss, quote, Barb convalesced in Renton near Seattle. Eight days prior to the skyjacking, Dayton visited the hospital with the staff as part of a follow-up visit. She was lonely and depressed. Money was low and work was scarce. During another appointment, two weeks after the incident, a physician noticed that her mood had considerably improved. Despite her welfare being set to run out, the hospital's notes read, she was 
strangely unworried about the money, and seemed disinterested in looking for work. Dayton might as well have had all the money in the world. When someone voiced an opinion Dayton perceived as silly, she became agitated and vocal. And after Ron playfully told her that she was probably D.B. Cooper, she sternly told him never to make a joke like that again. And as their relationship deepened, Dayton confided two secrets to the foreman. The first, that she had formerly been a man and had undergone the surgery. The second, that she was indeed D.B. Cooper, unquote. The story, as revealed to the foremans, was that Barbara, of course, was an excellent pilot whose greatest grudge in the world was that she could never, ever pass the FAA testing to become a commercial pilot because the math was too difficult. Feel you on that one, dog. And she had a lot of experience as a skydiver. So, after being angry and disaffected, following the surgery, she donned a man's suit, used brown shoe polish to dye her cropped hair brown, and then took explosives from a relative's construction and demolition business to hijack Flight 305. Quoting again from Mental Floss, quote, After parachuting out, she navigated toward a predetermined landing area near Hazelnut Orchard in Woodburn by using lighted checkpoints visible in the night sky en route to Reno. She walked to an irrigation cistern, stashed the money and the suit, donned a wig, and returned home. Dayton had borrowed her former gender only long enough to become a hijacker, unquote. Still, as great as that fucking story is, Dayton was much shorter than D.B. Cooper was reported to be, and Cooper was specifically stated by witnesses to have brown eyes, Barbara Dayton, had blue. And while the foremans provided DNA samples from Dayton's belongings years after her death, the FBI didn't feel she met enough of the description to justify the testing. No sign of the money was ever found by any of the various amateur investigators who looked into Dayton being Cooper. The foremans believed she may have gambled it away in Reno during the stay, which I can say, having spent some time in Reno, plausible, except, of course, for the problem of the money being logged and trackable and large amounts of DB dollars popping up at a casino would definitely have been noticed. So, as much as I would find Dar Barbara Dayton being DB Cooper of victory for trans people everywhere, the evidence doesn't close come close to holding up that Barbara Dayton was ever Dan Cooper. Oh, shit. Yeah, I know, it would have been a perfect ending to a perfect story, but life rarely provides us with such things. Now, I have another name that we could add to our Don't do this, Dave! list. And his name is John List. <laughs> Why are you doing this to me, Dave? Uh, oh, I don't know. I can't help myself. Who is John List and why did I feel compelled to make a bad pun linking him to D.B. Cooper? Well, maybe that's because you're an asshole. Fair. Wrong, but fair, and you'll see why. Because for a hot minute in 1972, List was a top suspect for the FBI based on John's behavior earlier in November of 1971. Without getting into too many details, he uh, sort of methodically murdered his wife, mother, and three children in their home in Westfield, New Jersey, and promptly disappeared. He, <laughs> he worked out the murder so meticulously that no one thought to look for the family for almost a month. According to Wikipedia, quote, List was proposed as a suspect of the D.B. Cooper air piracy case because of the timing of his disappearance two weeks prior to the Ireland hijacking. 
multiple matches to the hijacker's description, and the reasoning that a fugitive accused of mass murder has nothing to lose. Another fact that made List a suspect was that Cooper demanded $200,000, which would have been enough to pay off his debts, unquote. That one just doesn't make any sense. It's not like he could pop back up with two hundred grand after murdering all those people. Go, oh, yeah, here's my money. I'm just going to go back to living my life. I mean, sure, I committed a few murders and I can't explain how I got all this money, but don't worry about it. Everything will be fine. The List story alone is fascinating. Last podcast on the left did a series about him recently, and I commend their explanation of the most boring serial killer of America because somehow they made an incredibly boring dude seem interesting. Either way, after List was finally caught and arrested in 1989, after appearing on None Other Than America's Most Wanted, where he was recognized and reported to the FBI, they would then clear him of being D.B. Cooper because there was no evidence, and honestly, anyone so cloyingly uninteresting couldn't be anyone famous, much less D.B. Cooper. My God, John List makes Gavin seem exciting. Finally, we arrive at the last of our DB Possibles, Richard McCoy Jr. McCoy did two tours of Vietnam as a helicopter pilot. He was skilled with demolitions and an avid skydiver. At the time of the hijacking, he was living in Provo, Utah, a hop, skip, and a jump from Portland. And also, McCoy looks like the sketch of Cooper. He's a dead ringer for old DB. But this is not the reason why people think that he is D.B. Cooper. The reason he's unofficially considered the likeliest person to be the mysterious Mr. Cooper is because in April of 1972, McCoy boarded United Airlines Flight 855, a Boeing 727, the exact same kind of plane as Cooper, that was en route from Newark to Los Angeles under the alias of James Johnson at a stopover in Denver. McCoy ordered his seatmate to find a stewardess by pointing a 45 caliber pistol at his chest and tell her that the plane was being hijacked. Richard McCoy showed the crew a hand grenade with a pinpole and his gun and demanded 500,000 bucks and two parachutes. The passengers and most of the crew were swapped with the parachutes and cash in San Francisco and the plane took off again. And at around 7.30 p.m., McCoy donned a parachute, gathered his ransom money, lowered the rear stairs of the plane and jumped out into the night somewhere near Provo, Utah. It did not take the FBI long to zero in on McCoy, Probably because one of his buddies in the National Guard remembered all those times he and McCoy had just sat around shooting the shit about planning the perfect hijacking, which, not coincidentally, was the exact thing done in this incident, and that guy promptly called the FBI. Son of a bitch! Yeah, you really got to be careful who you plot your crimes with, people. You got to make sure they're on the same page as you. McCoy was captured at his guard base, returning from a helicopter flight that I shit you not, was out looking for the hijacker in the deserts around Provo. He was out flying around in his helicopter looking for himself. If I were really going to milk this topic... I could do a full episode just on Richard McCoy because his hijacking is full of fucking juicy details like him almost missing the plane or him leaving his hijack note to the gate while boarding and getting it back while he's in the bathroom applying his disguise that made him so suspicious that they knew the plane was being hijacked before he ever gave them the note. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a Patreon only of this story. So look for that in your feeds real, real soon. McCoy, what's a arrested, charged, tried, and convicted, and then sentenced to federal prison for the hijacking of 855. But the FBI did not consider him a suspect in the Cooper hijacking, calling it instead a 
copycat. The FBI has never really been clear as to why they excluded McCoy. And McCoy ain't around to tell us his side because while he was in prison, he molded a fake gun out of dental clay and escaped from prison in 1974. I am the greatest supervillain of all time! Uh, maybe not so much because when the FBI caught up with him three months after he escaped, he was killed in the shootout with the agents and took any secrets he might or might not have about being D.B. Cooper to his grave. Or did he? From the website fearoflanding.com, quote, 10 years after McCoy's death, they began work on a book demonstrating their evidence. The book was released in 1991 under the name of D.B. Cooper, The Real McCoy. The book includes many quotes from Karen McCoy, McCoy's wife, implicating her in the hijack and making other serious allegations, including that she conspired with the FBI to have her husband killed. The book implied that the FBI agents had spoken to Mrs. McCoy and that other witnesses and other witnesses directly, but... Mrs. McCoy had refused to speak to them and certainly hadn't told them her part in the hijack planning. It turned out that in 1972, after his arrest and sentencing, McCoy came up with a plan to publish a book about his heist and hired an attorney in Provo to act as his agent. This came, as, came to nothing after his death, but the attorney kept the transcripts of interviews with McCoy and his family, including his mother, his wife, his brother, and Mrs. McCoy's sisters. The FBI agents had learned of, his, of this and requested his files from the attorney. He graciously agreed to give them everything he had kept, almost 200 pages of interview transcripts. Bernie Rhodes later explained that he reconstructed the information from those transcripts and then rewrote the interviews as though he had conducted them himself to give more immediacy to the dialogue. Unquote. Who the fuck knows what else never came to light about Richard McCoy? Just the details that I will discuss in detail in the Patreon Extra alone about his wife's involvement in the hijack only support the idea that Richard McCoy was in fact D.B. Cooper. And from a 2016 article on KFLD Radio, quote, the former federal agents said the FBI has possession of evidence they never released. They say when McCoy staged the second hijacking, he changed his tactics to better his chances of success, and these tactics would have only been known to whomever hijacked the original airplane. It's the same idea as suspect who knows the details of a crime that were never released to the public, known only by the police, unquote. Was Richard McCoy D.B. Cooper repeating his crimes after losing a good chunk of his ransom money in the first jump, or just an inspired copycat? The truth will never officially be known because officially the FBI closed the Cooper case in 2016. It remains unsolved and will likely remain that way because no one can conclusively say what happened to D.B. Cooper. But if he did survive his mad dive into the night, there is extremely compelling evidence to believe that he may have tried again a year later and was in fact Richard McCoy all along. Believe it. Or not. <laughs> that is it for our show this week and for this three-part series. My God, Richard McCoy. I planned all along to close with him as my prime suspect based entirely on the little bit of research I'd done and watching the HBO documentary. But then I got into the full story and it is fucked up. So keep your eyes open for the Patreon for part four of the story. The full story of the real McCoy. It's at patreon.com slash what the hell podcast. Gotta see if I can get my hands on a copy of that book and read it real quick. I'm betting it's full of some crazy shit. 
Speaking of being crazy, shit, rate, and review this show wherever you get your pods so others can find the show and wondered why they listen to such crazy shit. All of my unbelievable ideas are on the social, the hell underscore podcast on Twitter and the show name on Facebook. You can find all of our dubious ideas at whatthehellpodcast.com. We are a proud member of the Celtic Kings Podcast Network, and I'll be on the Celtic Kings Podcast going dork later this month with Jeremy Milan, and we will be discussing UFOs because that's the kind of nerdy shit we like to do. So for me, Dave, can I have your attention, please, Bledsoe, producer? You act like you've never seen a British person before. Gavin and all the fictional persons of interest on this podcast, we want to say, will the real D.B. Cooper please stand up? Because if you don't, we are going to have a problem here. We'll see you all next week. Shady, I'm sick of him, look at him, walking around, grabbing his you-know-what, living the you-know-who, yeah, but he's so cute, though, yeah, I probably got a couple of screws up in my head loose, but no worries, than what's going on in your pants bedroom, sometimes I want to get on TV and just let loose, but can't, but it's cool for Tom Green to hump a dead moose, my bum is on your lips, my bum is on your lips, and if I'm lucky, you might just give it a little kiss, and that's the message that we deliver to little kids, and expect them not to know what a woman's clitoris is, of course, they're gonna know what in a course, it's about the time they fourth grade, they got the Discovery Channel, don't they? What the hell were you thinking, stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.